This is Radio Plasma, a space dedicated to the exchange of ideas, conversation, stories, music, performances, and randomness. Listen at radioplasma.com. Also, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, and now also on Spotify. I'm your producer and host, Johan Rashivega, and today we are at the Wisteria Hearst Museum. The reason for it is because we want to talk about an exhibit, but the importance behind it for what it represents and also for what it's bringing to Wisteria Hearst as a very interesting project and experiment on making it a pop-up exhibit. For that purpose, I want to thank Kate Preisler, director of Wisteria Hearst, and also to welcome Katie Moonen, director of Artesana, who are here with us to talk about this beautiful project. Thank you for, for allowing this to happen. Oh, good morning. Thanks for being here. Katie, let's start with you um, mm. about, about this project. How did you approach the Wisteria Hearst Museum to make this happen? We were very lucky to be invited to be part of an exhibit since it was all about textile arts and the history and the legacy of that here in the city of Holyoke and moving all the way forward to today. We're weaving using traditional hand-operated floor looms, some of which are over 100 years old, but in a contemporary setting, making contemporary products. And so it was a really cool opportunity to collaborate with Wisteria Hearst uh, to do the exhibit. We're super excited about it. So the idea for Homespun actually came, I want to say, almost a year ago. Years ago, Wisteria Hearst had a quilt show. Um, that was run by a lot of volunteers and previous staff here. And it was, um, you know, something that was really popular at the time. So we got a lot of inquiries each year saying, oh, is, are you going to have another quilt show? Are you going to have another quilt show? So we kind of brought some people to the table and said, um, we're not sure that we're going to replicate the same quilt show that was here before, but what are some ideas since this was something that was popular and that people came to see that could um, kind of bring that feeling of a quilt show? If you've never been to one, I mean, for me, they're really warm. It's all about handicrafts. Um, it's a lot of women who are quilting. There is something really special about the tradition of quilt shows, but give it that sort of wisteria hearse twist that we've been trying to do, which is bring in local artists, um, open it up to a wider variety of kinds of expression and people coming in with different talents, but then also tie in history in a new way. Um, so one of the things we really said was, and we want to have something that we can bring out some of our own textiles. So we have a textile collection that includes about 1,200 pieces that um, most of the public doesn't get to see. So it was just this kind of complicated brainstorm where we arrived at this idea of instead of quilts, just bursting it open and saying any kind of fibers, anything anyone can think of. And then the obvious partner is Artesana, who are, you know, doing these beautiful upcycled weaving products with women down on Race Street. And um, we just thought of them and, I, you know, we, we contacted them and they, they, luckily they were in for it. So out of that idea of just fibers of any kind, textile arts, our collection, some cutting edge, <laughs> upcycling, you know, it, it hit all the marks for us. So I'm really excited at how it turned out and that it came to be in the way it is. Katie, when, when we visited Artesana a couple of years ago, it was a different location. It was into the stage of 
changing to the actual name of Artesana. Mm -hmm. And so much has happened ever since. So what is the current status of Artesana today in its new location? Sure, yes. We have happily been for one year now in our workshop on Dwight Street, corner with Ray Street and Dwight Street. And it's been a year of growth. Uh, we've transitioned to be a, a nonprofit, 501c3 nonprofit, doing a lot of community program around free fiber workshops, weaving and different fiber arts workshops, as well as the core of our operation continues to be as a social enterprise, making and selling handmade products, handwoven products, as a way to expand employment and leadership and all types of opportunities for women in Holyoke who have been impacted in some way or another by systemic inequalities. So it's a collaborative space, a creative space, a community space for women to build things with their hands, but also build a community together that's supportive and really, um, the idea with all of it is to just empower people to be able to make changes they want to see for themselves and their communities. And of course, it's very circular by design because we're using recycled products, giving a new life, a new chapter to things that would have been in a landfill or, you know, cast aside. They're being transformed into beautiful hand-woven decor and accessories. And it's just, um, we're really proud to be where we are now. We're really lucky to have received community support and doing projects like Homespun is awesome for us because we get the opportunity to connect with a wider audience, people who haven't heard us. Heard of us. We're small, we're new. We're always looking to meet new people and uh, broaden our reach, find new customers. That's our bread and butters. We really seek to sell what we make to be able to support ourselves as well as uh, you know, subsidizing with grants and donations, but our real goal is to sell what we make. So as part of Homespun, we've been loving the fact that we get to have a little pop-up um, store as part of the exhibit. So all of our handwoven products are available for sale throughout the exhibit. So that's been super great for us too. Kate, thinking about the history of Holyoke being not only focused on the paper production, but also the silk mm -hmm. uh, through several of the mills owned by the Skinner family. What it means to you to see the representation of the history that Wisteria Hearst holds, and at the same time, the current times seeing projects like Artesana mm -hmm. being here in Holyoke, bringing community engagement and in a, in a way, rescuing also techniques that mm -hmm. right now are not that much being utilized by the general public. Mm -hmm. But this is now a, a, another way to keep that history being written today. Yeah, I mean, there's kind of two parts to your questions, um, and I love both of them so much. So in terms of kind of our past here with mills, um, the first mill in Holyoke was a cotton mill. Um, there was also alpaca wool, and then there were the Skinner silk mills. Um, so textiles were a huge part, despite our name as Paper City. The paper mills did kind of overtake them, but that's a, a real origin. And I think for me, um, there's so, so much that's complicated about textile mills, in, including the fact that they were like 60% women and children who were working in them. Um, so it's hard for me to think about the mills, including William Skinner's mills, without thinking about labor, without thinking about workplace issues, without thinking about real struggle and real struggle of women and children, um, but also flipping that around and thinking about women leading. Um, and we have um, a little bit of text in this exhibit about Anna Sullivan, who really took charge and 
was the leader in unionizing the Skinner Silk Mills. It's just been really important to have that history forefront and um, think about women's labor, um, because that's what we're talking about in homespun really across a lot of it. Is it a form of labor, whether done by hand or on machines that has turned into a, a work of, you know, an art form? Um, it's always been creative expression. It's always been a way that women can make things and make their um, emotions emerge in an artistic form. But it really wasn't until the 20th century that it was recognized at all as an art form. So that's a very <laughs> jumbled answer. But I think when I think about a place like Artesana and the other people in the city, the Holyoke Creative Arts Center, who are using these textile arts to build community, it's in such opposition to what was going on in the mills. Um, and of course, the workers were coming together in solidarity. But I love the fact that by taking these back from mass production and going back to handwork, but then also um, making it an economic driver, you know, a, a form of job security, a way for women to earn some money, make an income, um, that's so important, and it's so important more to the legacy of Anna Sullivan, I think, than to the mills themselves. And I think that using the spaces in Holyoke, that is, it's just incredible to me. It's incredible reclamation of the spaces, the history, um, and producing beautiful, beautiful textiles, but in a way that is so socially conscious and so positive and building rather than so destructive as some of them were. Yeah. Do you want to add on? I think to that? it really spoke to that. And um, the history of Holyoke is so powerful, and the, the textile legacy is definitely a big piece of it. Also, the, the trend of creative reuse that's popular these days, you know, upcycling and DIY products, uh, projects, excuse me, that's something that's always been kind of part and parcel with fiber arts, with textile arts. There's, a, you know, the New England culture of use every scrap and never throw anything away. And I think that's kind of a universal thing for different cultures and communities. I've heard people in Artesana all the time talking about, así era mi abuelita, que, you know, every sh things that you no longer use, you use it for something else. You don't throw it out. It still can serve a purpose. But in today's world, things are so cheaply produced overseas that clothing is disposable almost. It's, it costs so little for us to purchase it. And it's, uh, it's contributing to a tremendous amount of waste that goes into landfills every year. And um, so, yeah, it's cool to bring that piece into it and kind of at the forefront, obviously, through our work, but also quilting and so many different traditions in, in textile arts are based in creative reuse. And I think that is a really admirable quality that, that they have. And as, as Kate was saying, it's always women women's work so to speak was one of it was one of the only creative outlets that were actually that was actually available to women at, at certain points in history and it's been kind of reclaimed now that there are so many more options for women in the arts i mean it's still patriarchal society but there are so many more options for women so i was going to say something that both of you touched on too was the idea of um of these as traditions um, and as things that might be dying off if it weren't for places like Artesana. I mean, certainly loom weaving, there are so few places other than Artesana to learn that. Um, and yet it's something that I've learned from Katie and from others at Artesana has therapeutic qualities, just like a lot of other really tactile hobbies or crafts where you're there's something very soothing about that repetitive motion of weaving and the kind of the zone you get into and I think that's 
that's a beautiful thing for people to be connecting with. And again, um, the Creative Arts Center, I think, is another place here in Holyoke that's trying to keep alive upholstery, quilting. Um, and I, I really wonder um, how much of that is because of its association with women um, and how how a lot of women are just, you know, at, at one point generationally discarded that because they're, but, you know, like quick things came into being and be as a way to alleviate women's burdens. Mm. <laughs> um, so the overwhelming amount of work that went out into keeping house and sewing all your own clothes and sewing quilts for warmth and this. And so easier, quicker options um, were alleviating women's work. And I think for a lot of people, myself included, <laughs> maybe of a certain generation, were like knitting, no thank you. Um, that's really associated with, with a kind of a domestic image that I wasn't trying to cultivate in my teens. But now, um, how sad am I that I didn't learn, you know, my own family is filled with women who did rug hooking, needlepoint, knitting, sewing, and here I am unable to um, carry on that legacy, I think is something for everyone to contemplate. And I, I'm, I'm glad to see places like Artesana and so many others in this valley making sure that those art forms are passed on in ways that don't feel oppressive. They feel joyful and they feel empowering. I think that's amazing. And I did want to point out um, one of my favorite pieces, as everyone already knows, is um, we have fifth and sixth graders from the Dunahue School that have lent us their knitting club pieces. And the fact that there is this enthusiastic knitting club going on in an elementary school here in Holyoke um, is another sign to me that these arts are art forms that are just universally accessible to people. Um, they have meaning. You don't have to be any identity to love textile arts, to love knitting. And I think that that's something I'm seeing in this area more and more is people really enjoying these forms without worry about their history and without worry about the, the labels that they come with. And I think that's just amazing. Um, and I'm, I'm just so happy to see it. Mm-hmm. It is really fascinating to see the um, interconnection between generations and also between different groups in our community that are present in this exhibit. Talking a little bit about how the exhibit is displayed in Wisteria Hearst, the space is being utilized in ways that are going to be surprising, that are going to be fascinating, and it makes the whole exhibit an experience. It really puts you in place about what it meant in the time these pieces were created or the time they represent, how important they they are still today. Yeah, I love the way that Kate and her team curated the exhibit. It's I call it a textile takeover of Wisteria Hearst because Wisteria Hearst is a preserved mansion. You know, the way it's furnished and the way it's laid out is basically as if it was like a time capsule of a what era linen? <laughs> I'm going to get this era. wrong. <laughs> it starts in the late 19th century and then early 20th century. Late 19th century, early 20th century, uh, highfalutin living. You sort of step into it and it's, yeah, you feel like you're back back in time. So for this exhibit, all of the different pieces, both contemporary and things from the textile archive, which are historic pieces, are integrated directly into the space. So each different rooms of two floors of the mansion have the installation of the exhibit and it's just a really cool way to experience this beautiful space with the addition of all these different textile artifacts that are arranged with such a great 
sense of um, place and inspiration. And I just, I love the way the, the whole thing came together. I think people will, like you said, it's a whole experience. And also, it honors, like you said, women, labor, but at the same time, uh, I saw a piece that brought another level of importance of recognizing the people before us, before the colonizing, the Native American people in this land also is represented in this exhibit. Yeah, I mean, that's really something that we are trying to do better at Wisteria Hearst, um, certainly, is to acknowledge the land that we're on, uh, the previous inhabitants, um, and make sure that we're constantly um, showcasing the history of the Native people and indigenous tribes who were here before us. Um, we're really lucky that we had um, a community member who was uh, who had some artifacts who could donate to that space. But yeah, I think with everything we're doing at Wisteria Hearst right now, um, and I think a lot of museums across the country are just growing more and more conscious of the ways that we have been really exclusive um, and the traditions of museums are, are built on kind of a, an intentional exclusivity, right? A museum's a place that's supposed to make you feel smart and highbrow and this and that. and. Um, it's just, you know, we're over it as a sector <laughs> and as a, as this community, I say like most people are kind of over that feeling and to make sure that what we're offering up here in our space is not just for everyone, it's, it's rooted in this place and it's rooted in the history of this soil and in history of the Connecticut River Valley. And we're at the beginning of our journey there, um, but we're really you know, we're trying and it's something that I hope that everyone sees more of in the, you know, in the coming years here. I think that it's like it's super important to recognize that that history and, and the, the first people's presence in our and influence in our area, just period. But also when it comes to textile arts and fiber arts, just the creative genius of those so many native traditions, the, the basket weaving, the beadwork, different types of garments that were, were traditional and, and meaningful to different tribes in our area. And I wish there was more opportunities to showcase that the, the artistry and the skill and the cultural tradition that a lot of tribes have. So it's been really great to include. We have some bead work and we have a um, ribbon shirt, which is traditional for different tribes in, in the area for celebratory occasions. Um, and I think it's important to recognize their contributions because I didn't know prior to connecting with the with Bill Myers, who's the one who from our community who is from the Iroquois Nation, and he loaned a, a few items. He was telling me how the interaction between Native peoples and European settlers there was like a, a real crossover of influences in the fashion world, where pearl using pearls and different types of headdresses that were extremely fashionable for high high circles, you know. Um, you know What's the term? Aristocracy? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Wealthy circles who were sort of, you know, socialites and always dressing with the latest fashion, they started adopting and integrating into their fashions mm -hmm. and even crossing over the Atlantic into Europe, wearing pearls and wearing different types of um, furs and things that became very popular that came straight out of Native American craft and tradition. And it's something that you don't really think about if you aren't exposed to those things, which is why, as Kate was saying, it's so important to create that space for for telling those stories and making sure that Native people are participating in whatever level they want to, you know, on, in these types of things. 
So right now Homespun is open and available for the public to visit here at Wisteria Hearst from November 8th to the 18th. And another great element in this exhibit is that all the information is available in both English and Spanish languages, which is another of the goals of Wisteria Hearst and constantly get that inclusion be felt in all possible activities that you that you have been doing. Yeah, I mean, I think for us on all levels, not just language, we believe that what we have is interesting and educational and valuable. Um, and so we want it to reach as many people as possible. There's just no question in our mind that as much as we are capable of, um, we want people to access it. Why would we not want people to be able to read these tremendous stories about these pieces, for instance, if um, and read it easily? If if that's a, if Spanish is their native language, then we want to ease it um, as well. We also have a, a binder. We know a lot of our visitors can't make it to the second floor, for instance. Um, so we have binder photos. If you can only visit the first floor, don't worry. We have materials so you can see the whole exhibit, no matter how well you're able to access all of our spaces. Um, but with with language, with use, I mean, I just want everybody to see it. I want to bring this art, bring this history, um, bring everything that happens in Mysterious to as broad an audience as possible. Oh, and a little pitch. Um, one of the, you should definitely come see the exhibit. The open hours are listed on both of our websites and there's Facebook pages, uh, Facebook events. Um, but a really great way to see it would be to join us for the closing party, which is gonna be a really fun evening on Friday, November 16th from seven to 10 p.m. And it's called Frock, because we wanna call attention to the theme of the evening, which is to wear something handmade whether it's a garment or a scarf or a jewelry, whatever, um, but just to sort of have that dialogue about our relationship to the things that we wear, how different it is now from a couple generations ago and w ways that we can shop more responsibly and improve our relationship to what we wear. Uh, but yeah, it's gonna be a great time. It's gonna be music by DJ Rashi Vega <laughs> and uh, Serenata Mandolin Trio, and there's gonna be appetizers and drinks, and uh, we'd love to see you all on Friday, November 16th for Frock. So this is a model of doing an exhibit as a pop-up in mm -hmm. a short uh, window of time. We are talking about 10 days 10 days, for it. yeah. This is definitely something worth taking the time, making the time to come see it. It's beautiful, a beautiful exhibit. And a little bit curious about that decision of making it a short uh, window of time compared to other exhibits that having for, for a longer. Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit of an experiment, to be honest. Some of it has to do with timing. This is a really busy time of year for people. It's a busy time of year for the museum. Um, we have the Nutcracker in just a few weeks after this. Some of it was, so some of it was logistical. But some of it is strategic. I think um, historic homes in particular can get kind of stale for people or um, exhibits that last for months. Can, we, we can see a drop off in visitors because I think when things are there for a long time, we take them for granted, to be honest. Um, and I know I'm guilty of it when I think, oh, I'll go see that eventually. Um, so the pop-up idea was we wanted to make it feel like an event. We wanted to make it feel like something that's here for a fleeting moment. Um, it, and, and as you said, it was a lot of work. This is not, when we say pop-up exhibit, it's not smaller than other exhibits. It's actually larger. Um, Katie's wording of a textile takeover is right. We used a lot of the house. We have a lot of pieces. Um, we have, I think, around 65 pieces 
on display right now um, from around 30 artists and then from our own collection. So it's not small, but it's meant to feel um, powerful. And, you know, it's meant to keep that energy. So to sustain the level of energy and activity for 10 days uh, is that could actually be more um, doable and make it feel more meaningful, I think. And we'll see, you know, it's an experiment for sure. But um, as staff and as volunteers here, we can also take uh, the house and its many things for granted as well. So for us to kind of do a real blitz to get it all up, show it off for 10 days, we've expanded our hours quite a bit so people can come in and see it during those 10 days and then wind it down all within the span of two weeks. It's fun for us and it's work for us and it, it just it adds it adds something new to the house and it makes us look at it in new ways and experience it in new ways. So it's been fun. And also it shows a wide set of possibilities for Wisterios to transform in different placements for different type of events. If we think about the past events during October, the tour uh, by candlelight, mm -hmm. the Halloween night, and seeing how the whole Lejon mansion is transformed and made a place for a new different experience every single time, right now having the opportunity of enjoying of homespun is one of many more ways to enjoy Wisteria Hearst. Yeah, thank you. Actually, I hadn't thought about it until you said it that way, but I would hope that people who came to some of our October events would come to Homespun, would come to Nutcracker, and it is kind of amazing how this space transforms. And yeah, you're, you know, Homespun is in a very different area of the house. A lot of people tell us that they don't ever get to go to the second floor because all of our events and programs are on the first floor. So this is your chance to get on the second floor to kind of self-guide around that area um, and see what there is up here. But yeah, I like the way that you put that. If you keep coming back to Wisteria Hearst every single time, it's going to look different. It's going to feel different. Um, and that would be a tremendous success if we, if, if that was all we did to this space was keep making it new again and again. Any last remarks you would like to make? I just want to thank uh, Artesana and Katie and Diana who couldn't be here. Um, you know, the Spanish language w would have been so much harder without them. They donated their services and added that element. Um, so much of the contemporary art, the artists, um, working with Artesana has been part of the fun for us and has brought us new people, new ideas, new ways of thinking. So any partnership does that, but this one has just been particularly wonderful for us. Oh, likewise. It's a real feather <laughs> in our cap as a small, lesser known organization to be able to step up uh, to a bigger stage and work with Wisteria Hearst. And uh, yeah, we're just excited. Hope everyone can make it out. In order to get more information, you can always visit the websites for both Artesana and Wisteria Hearst and all this information is available in the posting of this episode on radioplasma.com. What is this room that we are at right now? Uh, this is the study. So this is the second floor study. We're in a um, small wood paneled room at Wisteria Hearst that overlooks uh, the downslope of Holyoke. So when you look out the window from the desk that's in here, you can kind of see the expanse of the city. Um, it's one of the little second floor nooks that I think people don't see that often, um, but it's one of my favorite rooms here. And I can tell why. This is such a beautiful space and so inspiring. And I really want to thank you, Kate, for allowing us to do this session here in this room. Yeah. I, I feel it, it brings that vibe and that feeling of what it means 
for our city to have such a treasure like the Wisteria Hearst. Well, thank you again for coming and doing it here on site. And thank you, Kelly, for all, all the work that you have been doing for, for these years and bringing Artesana to become what it is today, a really safe space that brings a lot of awareness and work, tradition, inspiration, and even therapeutic work for many of the participants. That, that way, do, do you make the space be functional? Also, it's been a really powerful space for healing. Thank you, so kind of you to say. So this is our conversation with Kitty Moonen and Kate Preisler from Artisan and Wisteria Hearst. Here at the Wisteria Hearst Museum about homespun and remember the exhibit is available from November 8th through the 18th. With this, we conclude this session of Radio Plasma that has been recorded at the Wisteria Hearst Museum in Holyoke, Massachusetts. I'm your producer and host, Johan Rashi Vega, Thank you for listening.